The next thing that Imam Malut speaks about is Bukhal. Bukhal is known as being stingy. He's translated, the translator translated this as miserliness, stinginess. So the first thing to wonder is why is this the after talking about adab? Why is it that the very first thing Imam Malud mentions to purify is we have to purge ourselves of miserliness, stinginess? So first let me read what he says. Now then, the refusal to give what is obliged according to the sacred law. In other words, the first type of miserliness is inability to give zakat. And if you know the word zakat also is related to the word tazkiyah, zakat actually also means purification in the Arabic language. It's the way you purify your wealth, or it's also the way you purify yourself by giving away your wealth. Purify wealth doesn't mean, by the way, that you have haram wealth and you give zakat and it gets purified. That's the name. Right? If you have haram wealth, you can give all the zakat and sadaqah you want. It's not going to purify your wealth. But given, so that's also interesting that when you have risky halal, and let me actually stop here because since a lot of your students and since I brought this up, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran al-Kareem says, Rizqan halalun tayyiban. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it very clear that there are two darajas of risk. And that's why actually He's trying to remove us very far from the haram, right? Which is interest and uh, there are other things. But the vast majority of uh, haram income that people today find themselves as interest-bearing income or insurance. So halal means obviously that it's not money derived by doing anything that's prohibited. But Allah uses another word, tayyib. Tayyib means wholesome, pure, right? And so what it really means is that not only should we be looking, because if that's what the Quranic name has told us to do, and again, every human being wants to become a Quranic human being, so if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, look for halal risk and also try to make that halal risk tayyib. So one way that that halal risk becomes tayyib is by offering your zakah. So zakah is the way that the lawful money that we earn when we realize, number one, that we only earned it due to some ability given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are others who may not have that opportunity who fall before the poverty line. And actually the nisab of zakah, the eligibility to receive zakah is quite low. And so, you know, economists have their own definition of poverty and what's the poverty line and they have rival definitions about that. The Islamic definition of poverty is basically this line. Are you eligible to receive zakat or not? The reason it keeps that line low is that actually that is the way we eliminate poverty. Because if you keep it low, then everybody, or these people, get everybody's zakat goes to this group. Now if the whole ummah, or ideally if the whole world was Muslim, the whole world's zakat went to this group, there's no way this group could stay below that line. So it's not just poverty alleviation. The system of zakat actually can bring about poverty eradication. Absolute elimination of poverty if it was implemented. And all of you know and you see enough in the world that there's enough richness in the world, whether there's rich families in Pakistan and rich countries in the world, that obviously their wealth, it's just a little bit of their wealth would be needed, right, to eradicate poverty. And Allah SWT knew this as well. And that's why this institution of 2.5% of zakat Two and a half percent is extremely small. There's no country in the world, I think, which has any type of taxation system, whether it's income tax or whatever type of tax they have, that is set so low as two and a half percent. But obviously, because this tax is universal, I mean, I don't call it a tax, but because zakat is universal, it would be able to eradicate poverty. So the first thing is mentioning then, and this is a level of bukhl, and you see this in people. For example, you will sometimes come across a secular Muslim, means a Muslim who... Uh, the non-practicing Muslim, but it's not like they're atheists. They believe in Allah, right, in some abstract, loose way. And they won't say to you up front that the Qur'an is not the word of Allah, but at the same time, they're not really trying to learn or follow the Qur'an. 
if you try to convince, and they don't pray and things like that, but if you try to convince them, okay, well, why don't you give zakat? Because that is something that at least, I mean, it's not the right reason to give zakat. You have to give zakat for the sake of Allah. But if you try to bring them to the deen by using this argument that, look, there are things in our religion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed things for compassion, for eradication of poverty, for humanity. And so because that's what you're claiming as a secular humanist, that what you care about is humanity, then why don't you give your zakat? And then they become silent. They actually don't give their zakat. This is an amazing thing. So the secular Muslims of Pakistan don't even give zakat. So that shows you not only how untrue they are to Islam, but how untrue they are to their own sort of quote-unquote secular humanist values. So the first thing he mentions then is, as for the obligations of sacred law, there are such things as zakat, number one. Number two, supporting one's dependents. You will find this also that people can become miserly stingy in this, that they spend on all types of crazy things, but the husband doesn't like to give money to his wife. Or somehow they don't like to spend on their kids. Sometimes we get kids like that. I just know my parents are well off, but I have to work my way through college anyway. Maybe some parents do that to train their kids or to give them a sense of work ethic or a sense of achievement or make them do qadr of their right to time at lums because they have to fund themselves through partially. That is fine, but sometimes you find just bukhal. That the husband is a free spender. If he wants to take his buddies out, so he'll take them out to a really expensive dinner. But his wife asks for something is like, right? And so there's like an extremely intense budget here, like on pure need. And then his own spending, he's spending on all types of, you know, whims and desires. So, and that's an obvious supporting one's dependence. What is the extent to which you have to support your dependence? The extent, it's not the bare minimum. It doesn't, people should be clear on this, right? If you have a dependent, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a child, sometimes a parent in old age becomes your dependent. They become dependent on you for financial support. It's not that I just have to give them the bare minimum roti kapra makan me do jora salmedetan and do roti dalam kumilriye and they have a roof over their head. No. Supporting dependents means supporting them in the lifestyle that they are used to. The lifestyle, the income that they were used to, right? If you're able to, obviously if you're unable, that's a separate thing. But if you have the ability to do so, that is the extent to which you're supposed to support your dependents. The next thing is rights due to others. Sometimes it's possible that somebody other than the poor, which is their right is fulfilled through zakat. The second, which is your family members, their right is fulfilled through family support. There might be other people who have rights over you. Perhaps your worker, right? So people who live in Pakistan have a large domestic staff. Sometimes, you know, a woman is not a housewife, she's a household manager, poor staff. And my wife always says that it's probably easier living in America, at least you do everything yourself, but it's much, sometimes it's more of a tamasha to manage the work than to do the work yourself. But these people also have rights over us in the sense that if you look at the whole notion of paying, paying fair wages, right, increasing their wages along with the increase in inflation, and most people don't do that. Most, the same people who sit in their drawing room and talk about and they're like totally comfortable living in, sitting in a room which is powered by an AC run by a generator. Or food prices hit And the people who are actually being affected by it, their same driver, they've not even increased his salary by one rupee. The driver is getting the same salary he got six months ago. But meanwhile, these people are fully aware. And that's the proof that every other few days they keep talking about the halat and the economic situation. They are so fully aware of the fact that People are in severely facing more and more difficult economic situations, but if this is their bukhul, 
it's very difficult for a person to spend money. Some people are like that. You know, some people have this ailment. It's very difficult for them to spend money, for them to even think. That is, you ask a person, they will genuinely tell you, I never even thought of that. Whatever, right? That at least I can do something, right, for them. And those same people, if they work in a corporate world, or even here at Lums, they get their annual salary raises. So that you don't even, it never occurs to them that my salary is going up every year, right? And, but those underneath me, they should be fixed. If they didn't get their salary raise, imagine like if the prop didn't get their raise and everybody, they would go crazy, right? Because they feel that they're entitled to it. So when it comes to receiving income, we feel very entitled. But when it comes to dispersing or spending, if a person feels that they are very right, uh, stingy or very limited in their spending, so this is known as bukha, all right, as miserliness. The next thing he says is relieving the distressed. Relieving the distressed is referring to a whole other area in our deen, which is sadaqah. Sometimes what you call a khirat, right? It means voluntary charity. So it's not mandated charity, it's zakat, that's obligatory, right? But many times a person will see in this almost sometimes even there's a need for more than zakat. Maybe an earthquake happens, maybe there's a situation like this, that there's a crisis situation, that a person might not fall below the poverty line, so they're not eligible for zakat. But nonetheless, because they have four or five children, or they're trying to give them an education, right? They're trying to empower their children. It's not necessary that the driver's son should just be a driver, right? But if the driver wants his son to get an education, maybe one day become a, you know, I don't know, a computer programmer, or, you know, a worker in fast or something, right? He's going to need more. Uh, more money to support them. And education, the price of education has also gone up so much in this country that at the very least it's out of, out of reach of the driver and the khadim class. Even if they want to educate their children and sort of do something for them, they just can't do it. So relieving, right, others. These are all areas in which sadaqah has to be done. This is also part of our deen because the Prophet said in a very famous hadith that you should love for your fellow Muslim what you love for yourself, right? And what we love for ourselves isn't confined to just getting out of the zakat line. Right? How many of you tell your parents that? That Abu Ami, I'm just going to make enough takim me zakat ko mustahik na They look at you like you're crazy. You can't jeep Right? I just want to make enough such that I'm not worthy of receiving zakat, but that's it. Itna bina ki mujh sabr mushpar zakat lagti hai. Bas itna banana ki mujh zakat leni sakta. Right? So nobody thinks like that for themselves. So just like you, all of you, inshallah ta'ala, Inshallah, Aziz will grow up further, right? Growing up and grow up further, meaning get married and have children, and you would want your children to have an education, right? So you would want to love that for your domestic staff and really as much as possible for this whole, uh, for your whole ummah, right? Examples of virtuous merit include not nitpicking over trivialities, right? Sometimes, right, a person really nitpicks, right? Especially in the domestic level. So you're shopping, if a woman wants something, and you're like, well, look at that, it's like 50 rupees less. Why are you, I mean, <laughs> very vulgar in this term, but why are you, you know, why are you fighting so much over such a small, small increment, right? Such a small increment. Does it make sense? Right? So nitpicking over trivial expenses. Avoiding this is even more important with respect to a neighbor, a relative, or a wealthy person. This needs to be my number one neighbor. Right? All of you must have heard, right, this very famous many hadith that the Prophet has given so many rights over neighbors, such that the Prophet himself said that Allah Ta'ala kept inspiring me with so many of the rights of neighbors that I thought Allah Ta'ala was going to reveal that the neighbors also get a share in inheritance, that they're that close to you, 
right? Uh, and that means sometimes being generous, right? So it's not just financial generosity. Miserliness and stinginess isn't just about financial stinginess. There can be other ways that a person is stingy, right? So to be a bit generous, if your neighbor needs something, your neighbor wants something, right? Uh, to be open and generous and sharing towards your neighbor, relative is obviously understood, right? This is even more important with respect to a wealthy person. What would this mean? Who wants to take a shot? Why in the world would you'd say for a wealthy person, why do you have to be generous towards them? That should be one place where I should be allowed to be stingy. Can't I be stingy when dealing with a wealthy person? So he's saying, no, this is important when in respect to a neighbor, relative, and wealthy person. Right. Actually, this is specifically about the nitpicking over trivialities. It means that if you have a financial ability and the other person on the other side also has financial ability, then for you to get caught up, right? You see a lot of fights and disputes come in financial matters and they come over the most trivial and minor and the fine print of the thing. And so we don't want to structure a, a, a system of financial dealings in which people get caught up in finding these loopholes and getting upset with one another. Then you have massive litigation. You have massive anger, resentment, distrust. So when two wealthy people are dealing with one another, they should also not fall into miserliness. They should also be generous and be open. Next is or when hosting guests, right? It depends. To this, Pakistanis are quite good about, right? They very have big mehman nawazi, right? And, you know... Uh, the same guy who you're dealing with in the store and trying to bargain down an item, he won't budge an inch, but he'll give you and five people bottles and he'll ask you if you want dinner. And that would set him back like a good, you know, few hundred rupees, which he's not willing to knock off the price of the item, but because he views you as his guest, right? Hosting guests, but again, it's not just financial. It also means giving them space, giving them your time, right? So you shouldn't get parishan the ko'ara, ya, piron ka phone aya hai, wo kehna ke wo lahor se guzrae, ek raat humara ghar tehna chaate Right? So the psalm isn't like that. If somebody feels that they're breaking journey or on their way on the journey or they want to spend some time with you, you should be generous in hosting them. Right? This is another apostle some said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to me so much about being generous to the guests that I feel that if a person was to take the whole dunya and make a lukma out of it, make a morsel out of it, and feed it to their guest, even that would not be enough. <laughs> even that would not be enough ikram of the guest. Right? And so, if you do that genuinely, and if you can do that for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because it's something that pleases Allah, that also, and all of these things, by the way, that he's mentioning, are ways to train our majlalness. So if anybody feels they have bukhal in them, so all of the things I mentioned are practical ways to get out of that bukhal, to raise the salaries of your domestic staff, to host people, to feed people, to contribute, to iftar, right? To, uh, you know, relieve the distress, to spend in charity, to calculate your zakat, to be generous when supporting your dependents, etc., etc. By doing all these things actively, inshallah, that is the cure for this illness that is in our heart, right? Uh, and you will find initially you won't, but once you, you just have to give those first few do, do, whatever, hundred rupees, then after that, it, the flow comes easier. It's the first thing that a person finds difficult to do. Or concerning something in which such behavior is inappropriate, such as purchasing a burial shroud or a sacrificial animal. It's another type of bukhul. And really, this is not something back then. You see this with people today, right? That your most dearly beloved relative has passed away. And you go to the market and you have the choice between a 900 rupee coffin that is a bit better cloth and a 600 rupee coffin. And people normally pick, and I've seen people normally pick the cheapest coffin. 
and they have their own mantik, their own logic that will do, I mean, the person's passed away anyway, right? So what difference does it make? Allah Akbar Kabira, right? This is the kafan, this is their burial shroud, this is, you know, you should be thinking that we want to, uh, you know, this is one of the last khidmat you can offer to, this, to the deceased, right? And so you would want to ruksat them or depart them from this world in the most essence, the most noble way, right? Again, if it's within your ability, it doesn't mean you have to go extravagant and overspend on some extremely fancy cloth, but in a, one should not have bukhal in this or in the arrangements, right? Or in anything, right? Uh, you know, whether it's sometimes paying the grave diggers, right? Being stingy and tipping them, maybe totally neglecting tipping them. Why would you want that person who dug up the grave, right, of your deceased to resent you afterwards because you didn't bother to tip them? Why do you have to be so strict at that moment that you don't go to right? Right? This is, I mean, we have to break our way of thinking. Next thing is, right, what he mentioned, and purchasing a sacrificial animal, right? It doesn't mean you have to go and buy the most expensive goat on Eid al-Adha, the next Eid, right, for a qurbani. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go in the market with the quest that I'm going here to buy the cheapest animal. Another thing, right, the people sit around, they brag about what great deals they got. Right? You just, all you got was you lost a thousand rupees of swap. Right? That's about it. He got the ability to spend more, right? So this whole thing of, you know, financial championship and this and that, that's not the way we approach it, our religious spending, right? When you're purchasing a sacrificial animal, that is money you are spending for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, surely, right? If you had bought that bakra in some other type of the year, it would have been 6,000 rupees. And because, in these days, it would have been 9,000 rupees. And because it's bakra, he's charging you 10,000 rupees. To get so offended. Literally, you go into that, I mean, maybe women, you go into that medan, and you guys don't also, you have the five-star zivas, right? You know, you give it to, what's that place? That meat shop? Ha, ha, ha. Hazina, right? You've got like the five-star VRP ziba. We don't go near the animal, we don't see the animal. But we just sit back and relax and it's delivered to us all nicely chopped up. If you ever go into the Bakri Mandi, it's zubardas again, right? Over, I mean, bargaining to some extent, fine, is permissible. But people really get upset, they get offended, tempers get flared, they walk away in a huff, Allah Akbar. Right? Do you really want to damn all of that? Was it really worth a thousand rupees? Maybe fine, after fighting with five people, you found one poor fakir who's traveled from really far away and brought his bakras to Lahore. And he's really so poor that he's willing to give it to you, even though he knows that all of his buddies, right, are, he's underselling them and losing a thousand rupees. And he will be sad at that. Don't think when you walk away, you're so happy. Your happiness is coming at that person's like, He will be a little bit sad. That, gosh, maybe I would have more. Because these people, they live off of months. You don't understand this. This Eid season for them, this Bakri Monday, is not just like a day's way. This, this is something they prepare for for the whole year. They herd their, they, they farm their goats, they raise their goats, they make dua that their goats become larger and go quicker. Because sometimes, literally for some of them, they live the whole year off of it. Some of them live a few months off of it, right? And for us, I mean, what is that extra 500,000 rupees? Right? You can make me at the cello. I'm paying a bit more, making this person happy. And you look at that person you're buying from. Look at him. What is he going to do with that money? Is he going to blow it? Right? Is he going to blow it and go, go out uh, for dinner at Cuckoo's for 600 rupees with extra 600 rupees you give him? That's what you guys do with the extra money. Allah, no way. Look at him. He's, if you give him an extra thousand rupees, he's not going to be blowing it. It's just he's going to be using it on basic things of life. 
Right? So there's nothing wrong with paying a little bit more. You leave him with a smile, you leave with a smile. Right? So I'm showing you all types of ways, right, that bukhul, that majlis and sijinus happen in a person. Or purchasing something you intend to donate to the needy. I mean, look, this is like you think this was written in 2008. Right? That, okay, there's an earthquake, there's a call for blankets, right? Let's go through my house and find the most nappy blanket to give. Let me find the one with the biggest holes in it to give away. Or if I have to go and purchase something, I said there's a really good tent that could probably shelter these people. Well, why not skimp and get the cheaper tent? Right? This is a cheap way of thinking. Right? And again, love for others what you would love for yourself. If you were forced to live in a tent, you would want to have a tent that was good quality. That a tent that was thick enough to give you good shade. That was thick enough to keep the water out. Right? So, you know, in purchasing something you intend to donate to the needy, you should also be generous in that. Also be generous in that. Literally, sometimes you find these things, right? When you, it, it, again, it's an example of Eid, that you get a choice, that you can do a gagahissa, one share of a cow, or bakri adna, or bakri atna, right? You actually have a choice in the quality of goat that you want to donate. So you would think, I mean, I'm saying for us, the bakri adna is for that person who really doesn't have the money, who has enough money such that kurbani is wajib on him, but he is actually having a tough time making ends meet. That's for him. The dispensation for us, right, is to go for the bakri atla because we have the money. I'll give you another example, sadaqatul fitr. That comes missing, right? Sadaqatul fitr, there's a minimum amount, right? And, you know, always when the time comes, I get questions people ask, kya, kitna dena Is it 20 rupees or is it 30 rupees, right? Ab kabhi me kehne, 30 rupees, ya rasnu to 20 rupees kya? To me kaasir, 20 rupees kya? Me aapko hazaar rupees kehta. Sidi si baante. You're supposed to give, and you know, it's answered the truth because the Prophet has given different miqdars in dates, in wheat, right? And actually what people do for people's ease, they give the fatwa on whatever would be the cheapest, right? Because sadaqah fitah has to be given by all types of people, right? So for the drivers and for everybody else, the guards and the people in lower income, they need, they, they need, they can't really give more than 20 rupees, right? But for you guys, you should be looking at what is it, give me the nisab based on dates. Give me the six, seven hundred rupees, eight hundred rupees one. That's what I should do. Everybody should give according to their ability. I should be ashamed that this is a moment of charity, a moment where Allah Ta'ala will be pleased with me. And everybody should give according to their hisab. Why should I descend to giving twenty rupees? So here, purchasing something you intended unto the needy. Then he continues, thus one who makes matters difficult. In other words, when you're stingy, you're making matters difficult for the person you're being stingy with. Thus one who makes matters difficult for one whose rights clearly render this inappropriate to do so, such as a neighbor, has indeed torn away the veils of dignity. You've lost your own izzat. You've lost your own sharaf. You've lost your own maqam by being stingy and miser with another person. This is as the majestic and guiding sages have stated. So he's saying that this is something that I've not come up with, Imam Malud, but this is something that earlier right sages or wise ones or mashayik have stated before me. Then he does an analogy. This is comparable to one who fulfills his obligations without good cheer, who does so but doesn't do so happily, like pays the cost because he's forced to, isn't happily about doing it, or who spends from the least of what he possesses. That was the example I gave in the blanket, that he gives from the least of what he has. In fact, in the Quran, Allah SWT mentions a special love of his for those who give to others from the best of what they have, the choicest of their property and possessions. They give that away in charity. Its root, what is the root, what is the asal of miserliness and stinginess? The root of miserliness, the root of bukhul, is love of this world, hubbi dunya, for its own sake. 
One is to want to acquire the world for a particular noble reason, for the sake of my children, for my family, to be able to spend in charity, etc. The other type of love of the world which is frowned upon in Ardeen is love of the world for its own sake. That's unbridled greed. That's materialism. That's capitalism. Right? 99% of capitalism. Or so that the self can acquire some of its fleeting pleasures. This is to love the world simply to indulge yourself in pleasures. Right? To say that, no, I want to get more and more of the world. Right? Not just for the sake. For the sake of others, just, I just like having a lot of money. I just want to have a big bank account. Second is to say that, no, I don't want to keep it, but I want to just enjoy life to the maximum. There are obviously some extent to which you can right, live a comfortable level in this world, but to enjoy it so you can acquire only its fleeting pleasures. Then the treatment, right? Even though much of the treatment is in there, right? His tertib is going to be is going to be to explain an ailment of the heart and then specifically separately mentions treatment. Treat this by realizing that those who achieved wealth or affluence did so only by exhausting themselves over long periods of time, thus finally accumulating what they sought. In other words, it's not just illa, I mean, unless you're born rich or you get inheritance, but even then, wherever you got that money from, somebody at some point worked extremely hard to acquire that wealth. Meanwhile, just as they approach the heights of earthly splendor, death suddenly assails them. In other words, what he's saying is that, you know, a person, whoever amassed that wealth, must have spent years of work and toil to amass that wealth. And by the time they amassed it to its massive level and they're sitting on the peak, then they pass away. So there's nothing they're going to take with them anyway. Not a single penny from their coffers is going to enter their cupboard, right? So it itself is something that is of very temporary benefit. It's not of lasting benefit. So why would it be so attractive? to something that is only going to last us temporarily and only benefit us in this world. So meanwhile, just as they approach the heights of earthly splendor, worldly splendor, death suddenly assails them. Treat miserliness also by recognizing the disdain shown to misers. Know also that our deen says that a bakhil is a muzmum person. He is a person who is to be looked down upon. That's a lowly type of human activity to be stingy or to be miserly. And the hatred people have for them. Right? And we don't feel that. Many times you don't know the resentment the poor have, and this is a miracle in this country. Perhaps it's deen, perhaps the poor have so much tawakkal on Allah, right? The Marxists would spin it, right? And that's why they want to eradicate religion because they think that that is what is preventing the poor from engaging in revolution. Allahu Alam, what the reason is, right? But I actually would say that, you know, perhaps they're not revolutionary, but there is a feeling of resentment there. I don't know why people think it's not there. Maybe it's because we never talk to the poor people in this country. There is, and there should, I go one step further, there should be a feeling of resentment there, right? Uh, and so, and you would find the similar thing, the opposite. If there is an employer who treats his employees well, and that well literally is just a few hundred rupees or maybe one or two thousand more in salary, right? Those employees, they don't resent their employer, they love their employer. They work with their heart, they work with a passion, they give a level of loyalty. That's even actually, even in the worldly benefit of the employer, let alone the spiritual benefits of that, right? So treat miserliness by also recognizing the disdain shown to misers and the hatred people have for them. Even hatred amongst misers themselves. <laughs> and this is true. The bukhils, apasme, <laughs> they definitely don't, they have extreme dislike for one another because they each treat one another miserly. With this same treatment, treat the person whose heart's ailment is love of wealth, Right? So the notion here is there are two things. One illness was the inability to spend 
miserliness. The second thing is love of wealth, which is greed, hubid dunya. So he's basically wrapped it up in this. He's not going to mention that separately right now. Love of wealth, right? Now, now let's move it to a more contemporary sort of setting, right? Some of you may be wondering to what extent is it possible for us? I mean, isn't it natural to want a good job? Isn't it natural once you have a good job to want a promotion? Isn't it natural to want to have a good career track? And certainly I can build some of these noble intentions into that. But do I have to absolutely eliminate, because I'm, right, if you're honest with yourself, right, in addition to all of this, I can try to adopt this. But at the same time, I do also just kind of want the promotion. I just want that career track. Is that entirely wrong? Does that have to be eliminated entirely? No, not if you can do this. If you can adopt all of these things, if you can take care of the rights of the poor, of the needy, of your dependents, if you can be a person of voluntary sadaqah, right, if you can do all the things that are mentioned here, then if you're doing that, right, and while doing that at the same time, you do want to move to the next level whenever, inshallah, you work, to the next level in your career, that is permissible. That is permissible. Because the understanding there is that you are going to continue to be generous to people. So if you get more, then your sadaqah would become more, your zakat would become more, your ability to relieve those intercessors would become more. So actually Islam wants you to get more. Islam wants people like you to get more. Because they know that you spend from that which you earn. So that person who spends from that which he earns, we want him to earn more. We want him to become the rich person in society because society will benefit and the poor people will benefit from that. Alright? The next one, let me start it, is what in Arabic we call Bata. Bata. It's a word you would not have heard. Right? He has translated this as wantonness. Right? What this really means, maybe another way to describe this is uh, being lackadaisical, being carefree, taking a totally carefree approach to life. Right? That is what wanton behavior, sometimes people use this expression, Wanton behavior means a person acts completely irresponsibly, as if they have no duty, no responsibility, no Lord, nothing, right? So that is known as butter. So as for the disease of wantonness or being overly carefree, <coughs> its definition is excessive mirth. Mirth means happiness, excessive joy, which according to the people of knowledge is having excessive exuberance. Which, let me read the whole thing, I think this is just going to be one page. Treat it with hunger. So this is very relevant to understand because you're in a state of fasting. Treat it with hunger and the remembrance of the akhirah. Reminding yourself that Allah SWT says that He does not love the excessively joyful. It's a bit, you know, the English here. He does not love, love those who have butter, which alone is a deterrent. Okay? How can this be explained? So Allah SWT says in the Quran al-Kareem, that obey Allah and His Messenger and dispute not amongst yourselves lest you falter and your strength departs from you. And be patient for Allah is with the patient. And do not be like those who leave their homes, this is the word batara, filled with excessive pride about their state, showing off before people and preventing others from the way of Allah. And Allah encompasses He's all-knowing as to what they do. All right. Batar here means basically... Uh, an arrogance in your wealth, right? An arrogance in your wealth which makes you think that because you're extremely wealthy, you're free to do anything and everything that you want, all right? And then when a person reaches that state, then they act irresponsibly, they act extravagantly, and they do so happily. The joy part here means they do so blithely, 
maybe a better way to explain it in English. Uh, they do so blithely, they do so unthinkingly, uncaringly, right? And for them, that is the definition of happiness. You know, if you ask them, what is happiness? They say, this is what makes me happy. My lack of responsibility, my ability to be entirely carefree, my ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, my ability to be extravagant if I want to, my ability not to worry about the people around me, my ability not to worry about all those things, all the needs or responsibilities that people have around me, my ability to be immune to the poor, that actually makes me happy, that I'm desensitized to this, that I'm living this life in this mansion in Kent and it doesn't mean anything to me what's going on in the rest of this world, right? That is butter, right? So complete wanton behavior, complete irresponsibility. What it has to do here, what, what's being suggested here, is it's actually numbing our heart. When you fall into butter, it means that we have become desensitized, morally desensitized, spiritually desensitized. We're just caught up in our own carefree, happy-go-lucky life, right? We're not, what you say, not dard-e-del in Urdu, dard right? And that is a good dard, that is a good thing. So this itself is an illness. And sometimes people will actually, when they snap out of it, they do they say that, I don't know, I never felt this before. I never felt this compassion before. I never had this done before. What was it that prevented a person who snaps out of it if they want to analyze themselves? What was it that prevented my darts from coming before? That is this thing called butter. This meaning of wanton behavior, carefree behavior. So that is the second thing that is obviously related to this. Treat it with hunger. The relationship here is that when you fulfill your hunger again, and we keep saying this to you over and over again, when you're oversatiated, right, that leads you to be carefree. When you never feel want, hunger is a basic right, need. And when you allow yourself to feel hunger, you allow yourself to feel a state of want or a state of need. When you never feel that state of want or need, that's what makes us carefree. That's what leads us into this wantonness. So alhamdulillah, right? What that means then in this month of Ramadan, in addition to feeling hunger, we should be more caring. We should be more thinking. We should be more reflective. We should not allow ourselves to fall into wanton behavior. We should think responsibly, act responsibly. That obviously I've given a lot of that, what that means in terms of worldly or financial obligation. And obviously going back to the first thing, which we said was the crux of beginnings, so to keep relating things to that, which was the other towards Allah. So we should not be unthinking or mindless in our relationship with Allah. We should not be ghafil. We should instead be dhakr, we should be mutafakir. Right? People love to think about tafakkar as some rational activity, that, oh, doesn't Allah Ta'ala say in the Quran to do tafakkar? Well, tafakkar doesn't mean to rash, engage in rational deliberation. Tafakkar means to have fikr, to think about your relationship with Allah, right? And not to be, and that's another type of wantonness that people have. People are carefree. People are unthinking or uncaring about where they stand with their Lord, where they stand with their ibadah, what the quality of their ibadah is. And you will find similarly, hunger will also help you to do that. Hunger in the state of fast, in the state of a religious fast, will automatically make you more conscious of Allah. Because every second you feel hungry, every time you feel that hunger, you feel Allah. Because you know it's part of your consciousness or subconsciousness that I'm feeling this hunger for the sake of Allah. And that's what makes it go away. Otherwise, normally whenever you feel hungry, the first thing you do is you remove that hunger by eating. Every time you feel hunger, then you immediately do zikr. But what stops you from feeling your hunger, that is the zikr of Allah. Right? That is because you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you use that remembrance to act responsibly. To act as if there's a duty that you have to fulfill. As there's a being that you have to hold yourself accountable to. So that is something that we want to increase during this month such that it can last with us after this month. So if there are any questions, because I didn't have time the first day for questions.
So questions from the first day, which are on Adab, the beginning of purification, purification itself, process of purification. Questions on today, which are Maizhulinus, Tenulus, Bukhul, or wantonness, carefreeness, extravagance, which is called Bata. Bata was a Ta, right? Bata-la. Otherwise, you guys can also go. Right? People who don't have questions can go.